that for me felt like I have to do something. It's kind of like not on my watch. First of all, it was grief. And then quite quickly, it turned to anger. And then it turned from that into like, what can I do? What do I need to do? Welcome to SheEO.World podcast, where you'll meet women and non-binary folks who are transforming the world to be more equitable and sustainable. Welcome to today's podcast. I am Hannah Senior, normally the host of the Innovating AgTech Plant Breeding Stories podcasts. But today I'm here with my SHEO Activator hat on to talk to one of our newest UK ventures, City to Sea. And I'm with the founder, Natalie Fay. So would you like to start things by just introducing yourself, Natalie? Thanks. Thanks for having me on, Hannah. I'm the founder of City to Sea. Um, I'm also an author and a mother and all the other roles that we juggle in life um, as entrepreneurs. So, yeah, I set City to Sea up back in 2015 to tackle the issue of single-use plastic and to try to bring about change really I wanted to see what I could do as an individual to try and stop plastic pollution I mean I you know took on a fairly big task but I was working in TV at the time and getting a bit frustrated with the lack of environmental coverage so back in 2014 and so that's where it began. And City to Sea is a campaigning organisation is that right? It is yeah so we're a community interest company um, which in the UK is a structure, really, an organisational structure for businesses that want to have more of a, a for-purpose element, and that's reflected in our governance. So we are really a social enterprise, and we also now have a charity arm as well. So tell me about the scope of the activities that you're involved in. Sure. We are effectively a, a, a digital campaigning organisation, and we try to bring about change when it comes to tackling single-use plastic in communities, on the high street and at government level. So we do that through running campaigns and behaviour change initiatives that raise awareness about the issue of plastic pollution. So we're communicators. We run petitions and campaigns that influence supermarkets and retailers. So we actually see changes on the high street as well as working with coffee chains and high street retailers. And then we lobby government. So what you might see from a more traditional conservation organisation where we put pressure on government by running petitions and um, collaborating with other NGOs or nonprofits in the space to try and get legislation changed as well so that the onus of the change we need to see in the world isn't all on the individual. And is that just focused in the UK or do you focus on other parts of the world as well? We are predominantly based in the UK. We're a team of about 20 staff. And although our, our biggest campaign, Refill, is in seven different countries. So a lot of people in the UK recognise the, the Refill campaign and the logo because it's in, gosh, over a quarter of a million sort of shops and cafes around the world. You might see the sticker in the window and we have an app called the refill app so that's got quite a high brand recognition and people recognize that and just for anybody that isn't aware of the refill campaign you want to quickly describe that for us yeah absolutely so that's our campaign to um, try and get people off of single-use bottles and on to refilling their reusable bottle on the go so it began in Bristol in 2015 for us and we started 
directing people to shops and cafes with posters and stickers that we gave to volunteers to sign up any kind of business that basically had a tap that had passed a health and hygiene certificate um, and logging those taps initially on a Google map. And that quickly became an app. So it was really about getting people used to carrying a bottle, addressing some of the behavior change barriers to carrying a bottle, perceptions around tap water in the UK. Um, and we really designed the campaign to try and make it easy and accessible for people to save money, save plastic and refill for free on the go. And so that campaign is international, but sounds like some of your other activities are local. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it is a bit of a hybrid. So that campaign has gone global, um, although we primarily focus on the UK. So there is a toolkit for communities so people can sign up and run a refill scheme in their community. So we've got over 400 refill community schemes. Um, some of those are run by local authorities, so councils, but mostly they're run by individuals, people at like UME who are passionate about changing the world and have maybe got a bit of time um, that they wanted to volunteer and to go out and run refill where they live. So how do you decide which aspects of the plastic challenge to focus on? Because plastic and single-use plastic is everywhere and, and clearly, you know, you have to pick your spots. So, so tell me a bit about how you go, go about thinking about that problem. Yeah, well, it was quite easy, actually, for us because, well, in fact, my head of campaigns, um, Joe Morley, was very clear and strategic that we wanted to focus on the top 10 most polluting single-use plastic items. So for us, it's the top 10 items that are most commonly found on beaches and rivers around the world. So one of the items that was on the top 10, which I think has dropped off now, which is exciting, was the cotton bud or the Q-tips as they're known in the US and Canada. And in around the world on beaches, you can barely sort of walk a few feet without seeing a plastic cotton bud washed up in the shoreline. And particularly um, here in the UK, people were flushing cotton buds in their millions and uh, we were picking up hundreds of them. And we ran a campaign back in 2016 um, called Switch the Stick. And we got all of the UK supermarkets to stop making cotton buds out of plastic and make them out of paper. And then about four years later, the government finally got with the programme and banned them. Um, so banned the plastic cotton bud sticks. So we've seen now a percentage decline in the number of cotton buds washed up on beaches since the implementation of that. So that's really satisfying. That stopped over 400 tonnes of non-recyclable single-use plastic being produced each year. Thank you. That's a really good example. And, and it's interesting that because it sounds like it started with consumer awareness before you then went on to target the manufacturers is that is that your normal way of thinking about things to try and start with the consumer awareness or or have I misunderstood not at all no it's more actually just a frustration of how slow it is to get the government to change um, and actually targeting retailers is is a faster way of bringing about some of the changes we want to see because they're dependent on their brand and their customers whereas you know, with politicians, obviously, they want to stay in power as long as they can. But we're stuck in this cycle of, you know, four year cycle. So um, actually putting pressure on retailers, we found was faster and more effective um, than doing the slow but steady pressure on the government route. And unless you've got 
people who can vote with their wallet every day and can vote you know in elections unless those people are aware of the problem and motivated to do something about it then generally those changes don't come about we wouldn't be seeing the shift that we're seeing now towards a more circular economy and towards refill and reuse systems if it wasn't for the pressure that organizations like city to see but also lots of other organizations have put on manufacturers and government to make those changes one of the things about plastics is or environmental issues generally is that they're devilishly difficult you know you you try and solve one problem here and you can end up causing another problem there so i'm thinking of things like um packaging food with plastics in some cases it stops food waste in other case it is just gratuitous use of plastic that isn't needed so how do you think through that kind of problem when you're figuring out which which uses to target well I think as I said we we tend to focus on the kind of plastic that we find on on rivers and um, beaches so that's been littered or that's escaped um, are ineffective sort of recycling systems really so it's mostly bottles coffee cups um, single use sort of on the go items and that's generally what we tend to focus on so the refill campaign expanded um, at the end of 2019 to include places that you could refill your coffee cup your lunchbox your household goods so it's more a, a platform that you can use to eat drink and shop with less plastic in terms of um, suggesting alternatives we generally only really promote and support and push for reusable packaging because as you said, you know, even sort of people getting excited about switching to bioplastics has been fraught with problems because although people are like, oh, it's okay, this coffee cup's compostable, it's only compostable in a high heat industrial composter for 90 days. And there's very few of those around. And there's certainly not going to be one when you just happen to chuck your coffee cup away in a municipal bin. So that technology is exciting. And like you say, food Packaging is, is one of the, the biggest areas of, um, of concern around increases in, in plastics production. Those sort of new innovations that will prevent food waste at the same time as reduce plastic pollution are very much going to be part of the future. But for now, there are so many ways that we can just reduce the amount of plastic that supermarkets are using um, by introducing refill and reuse and return systems. Another question that springs to mind in this conversation is how you know, A, what good looks like, because I guess there's always another thing to be dealing with, but B, how do you know that you've done a good job? How do you know that the plastic washing up on beaches is reducing? Who, who does that work? There are a number of amazing organisations who do regular beach cleans and clay beach clean data so um, keep britain tidy the marine conservation society um, break free from plastic organized sort of global beach cleanup so we tend to see who the biggest polluters are what the most common items are that are found and then slowly but surely collectively we're all working to see a reduction in those numbers in terms of other ways that we can measure success that might be a government introducing for example it recently banned cotton buds straws and stirrers um, we've been putting pressure on them to now ban single-use cutlery so it's kind of like a little bit piecemeal but we're getting there and and that does make some some huge changes um, so yeah I think there's a number of different ways that we can celebrate success and see it but there's also 
the stuff that's much harder to measure, which is the cultural shift and the behavior change shift and the trends. You know, we can see that bottled water sales are declining, um, but, you know, we can't claim that it's because of our work through the refill campaign that's done that. You know, we're part of a movement. And, um, and so I think you just have to trust sometimes that your work matters and that it's making a difference. And I'm sure it is. I ought to say that <laughs> because the fact that you're getting wins like, um, you know, getting the plastic cotton bud things banned. I mean, that you know, those are clear examples of making a meaningful difference. So, um, <laughs> so it's quite encouraging that you can see it as well as um, it coming through in the numbers. I am curious about your background. So you said 2014, was it that you got into this? What, what made you make the switch to to focusing on this issue and becoming a campaigner? Well, I think like many of us, there's, you know, there was definitely like a wake up call for me. But I think for me, it was a video on Facebook of beautiful, fluffy albatross chicks dying a horrible death in their nests. And I think we can often be bombarded with all these different environmental or social problems in the world. And sometimes we can become a bit numb to to it and probably as a form of self-protection because there is so much going wrong in the world or that we could care about but for me I think I was at home on my own I wasn't in a public space and it was presented in an incredibly powerful beautiful way it was an artist called Chris Jordan with the film Midway actually sorry it ended up being called Albatross but back then the trailer was um, called Midway and it just was such a moving experience when I watched this one minute trailer, two minute trailer for the film. I was so grief stricken that I kind of have, I had space to feel it. And I think that's quite often we don't really have space to feel the, the grief or the loss, you know. And I've had two moments of that like that in my life. One, um, well, I've had many more than that. I've had dabbled in environmentalism for many years before City to Sea but I think that for me felt like I have to do something it's kind of like not on my watch I'm not going to sit here whilst you know a third of the lace on albatross chicks die Uh, I want to do something about it so I think really I just felt this well of energy I mean I think that's how I would describe it first of all it was grief and then quite quickly it turned to anger and then it turned from that into like what can I do what do I need to do And I started off with a music video, um, which because I had a full time job in TV and I dabble with music, I write occasionally write songs and I'd written a song and it felt like that could work if it was set to video about plastic pollution. So I started off in my spare time doing a crowdfunding campaign, got this music video produced, raised about five thousand pounds and then ended up from the sales of the you know, the song and downloads. I think I ended up raising about £17 for a conservation charity. <laughs> and at that point, I thought, yeah, okay, maybe maybe I can do more than a sort of failed music video. And, and I took that momentum and started building up City to Sea then in my spare time in Bristol. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it down as failed. I think it's just you try some things and you learn from that, don't you? You evolve as you go along, which brings me to my next question, which is from that early beginning. Tell me a bit about the journey that you've been through from, OK, that initial video didn't raise what I wanted it to raise, but now I'm going to change direction. Tell me how you got from there to now. 
Well, I think pretty quickly I started exploring the landscape in Bristol. Like, is anyone working on this already? Can I get a job working with someone that's already doing this? Um, there wasn't anyone doing it locally in my hometown of Bristol in the UK. There were a couple of con sort of more marine conservation organisations. I reached out to them. They didn't have anything going. So I thought, OK, keeping my full time job, what can I do in my spare time that could build this? And we ran community consultations to see what people wanted us to focus on. And I had all this energy for it. Um, and I think we kind of settled on two ideas of what kind of plastic we wanted to tackle. We managed to unlock about £10,000 of funding to pilot the refill campaign in Bristol. And so uh, two people that I knew that were also interested and in raising awareness about plastic pollution at the time delivered that project whilst I still have my full-time job. And then I left my job in TV and got some more funding in to do the switch the stick campaign from the water company so i started kind of working with corporate partners and seeing who who could fund this for us and i kind of drew on my previous business experience to to really start getting some cash so that we could run those campaigns and set it up um, in 2016 as a community interest company it was quite a tough decision between am i a social enterprise am I a charity what are we doing here but we went with a kind of hybrid community a kick or CIC in the UK and from there it kind of snowballed we had that success with switch the stick refill was building slowly we started walking working with the UK water companies and then they funded a, an England-wide rollout of the refill campaign and at that point we kind of went from I think I got us up to about a team of maybe. 12 and then or maybe sort of eight and then we went up to 12 and then um about a year later I promoted our head of partnerships up to CEO so she became CEO and we had almost two years of her in the CEO role and me as founder um which worked really well as a sort of um leadership team and yeah so we are where we are today with um I'm back in the CEO role still conscious that I do need my other wing women you know I still we, we, we came through the pandemic which I think was quite a big um, challenge for all well, for everybody really but you know particularly for for non-profits um, and um, yeah we've got some amazing partnerships and we're starting to see some really interesting changes coming. Just expand on the team for me a little bit you, you know obviously you've been through the pandemic that's a difficult time for especially for organizations like yours how are you structured now how you know is it a large team that you have so we've got about 20 in the team um we are just introducing a four-day week so we've been piloting that for six months which i think is really exciting to talk about because we're now fully as of may that we're integrating that so we're all paid the same as if we were on a five-day week um, but we're working four days, which I feel is one of the perks of being the founder and the CEO that I can kind of say, I want us to do this. And um, it, quite often it will get implemented if it makes sense for the team. So we have myself, we have my senior leadership team, which is head of campaigns, head of development, head of partnerships. Um, and then we have a sort of slightly more app based digital team 
we've got the marketing and campaigns team and we have the uh, partnerships team um, that that work on our corporate partnerships but also our third sector partnerships as well. And are there any partnerships that you particularly want to tell us about? Oh there's some great ones yeah I think probably our Chili's partnership um, the Chili's reusable bottle so we we partnered with them back in I think 2016 um, possibly even 2015 um, when they were just beginning and they went on to become the fastest growing company in the UK I think that was 2020 that they became that so they have one particular bottle in their range and they give us 10 pounds every time someone buys one of the refilled Chili's bottles and coffee cup or lunch pot and that's been a, a brilliant partnership because we meet their need of getting more places that people can refill um, and showing people where they can refill their bottles and get access to water or other things and, and driving demand for those kind of products. And then we benefit obviously from the donation so that we're able to do the work that we do. Um, so that's one example of like a product partnership. We also do a lot with like period companies who've got reusable period products because we had our plastic free periods campaign, which was a, a big part of our work and has evolved into an education program called Rethink Periods. So we've got a number of smaller uh, reusable period product partners and also organic disposable. So raising awareness around hidden plastic in period products. Uh, we've worked with sort of a big um, investment bank as well previously um, and they had me speaking at their conferences at sort of pension conferences and talking about plastics but also the wider environmental issues so they offered sort of refill bars at their conferences and I was also there to sort of add some environmental messaging and maybe gravitas on the environmental subject. <laughs> Very good. Very good. <laughs> So Natalie, I'd like to ask a brass tax question now, which is tell me a bit about how the organisation is financed. Um, how is it that you can fund all these activities? Yeah, so we've got a fairly diverse set of income streams. I mean, initially, that was to make us more resilient. And we have slightly got to the point where actually we're just a bit too stretched <laughs> to, to be um, managing those different income streams. So we have sort of the conventional donors, philanthropic giving and some trusts, grants and foundations because we're a, a CIC, which means that we are actually eligible for some grants and um, donations. Then we've majored on the product donations. So that's been a, a big part of us of working with reusable and refillable product partners. And then we have some public sector funding. So we work with, for example, Welsh government have funded refill in Wales for the past two years. Um, we're doing a really exciting project down in Bournemouth, Christchurch and Poole with a big seafront engagement hub. And we're providing the project plans and the engagement and the strategy for how that hub and the surrounding retailers can become plastic free and use reusable cups and coffee cups and lunch pots and things so we've got this fairly wide range of partnerships but then yeah a small percentage of grants funding and um and the occasional philanthropist who just loves what we're doing and helps us on our way excellent i think that's a good segue into talking about ceo um tell me a bit about how did you come across ceo because i gather you applied to be a venture last year so tell me a bit about that backstory 
We did indeed. Um, so that was Rebecca Burgess, who was our CEO for almost two years and my wing woman. Um, and so it was her that got CEO on the radar. So we were kind of applying together. However, when we got through to the sort of second stage at that point, I was considering we'd never had a loan before. We hadn't gone for investment. We hadn't really needed to go for investment. And I was concerned that we were really going for a loan for business as usual. And I didn't feel confident, I think, enough that we would really be able to pay that loan back. Um, so at that point, I felt like it wasn't something that we needed to do at that stage, but we had um, really become part of the Shio community and, and started, ha had a taste really of what amazing things were going on within the Shio community. And so this year, I felt like we were ready to come back and do it again, but for a different ask this time. Okay, so so you applied to become Shio Venture. What was the thinking behind that? What was it that you were hoping to get out of it? I think for me, so what we were doing differently this year is looking at a more sustainable business model. Because, and interestingly, a lot of the feedback I got from activators was like, you're doing great work, but what's your business model? Um, and so that's really what we were applying for support with this year is support with transitioning to a more sustainable business model, which was what I'd always sort of had in mind for C2C. And that um, when we kind of got that nailed, then we could then fund the charitable side of our work as well through, through our own successful sustainable income stream. So that's kind of been the dream. Um, and this year we applied to CEO with that in mind of looking at funding a couple of, well, basically restructuring and, and revisiting our business model. So that's the piece of work that we've been doing. And also, as I said, very openly and honestly, we're looking for, you know, that COO or possibly CEO, the the integrator to my visionary. So it's, you know, I'm, I'm quite clear on my, um, my skill set. Um, and it's certainly not what an integrator does. So that's that's the sort of the thing that I was saying to Shio. Um, so that's exciting. But but really, I think once I'd, you know, I picked it up again, I was like, okay, well, it's time to look at Shio again this year. Is this something that I feel I'd like to do? And it was about that community and that I feel as CEO, it can be quite lonely because I have my SLT, but quite often there's still a sense of the SLT being a team and then the CEO slightly being outside of that. And I think it was the peer-to-peer -peer support that I was interested in um, and, and also interested in bringing something to it as well. Like I'm, I love supporting others and, um, and sharing, I guess, my energy with other people as well so I was curious and keen to contribute to the community and um, the more I saw as I went through the process in terms of the you know idea of radical generosity and how people can have their asks but they can also have their gives um, that just really resonated with me to be part of a, a group of um, women and non-binary people that are here to help each other thrive. 
And it's early days yet, but have you found that those expectations have been met? And, and is there a specific example you can give about how the community has um, been there for you? I mean, it has blown my expectations out of the water. Genuinely, I have been bowled over by the amount of support offered in terms of activators reaching out, saying, you know, responding to my asks or um, just wanting to help. So either through the um, venture welcome circles or through the, the deep dives that we've done introducing um, my UK cohort to, to our to the CEO activators and community. So it's been really exciting and, and really high level, bright, bright women as well that are reaching out that I'm just like, wow, you want to help us? <laughs> I get you mean I get to talk to you? And then like the coaching, you know, I, I hadn't realized that I'd get a year's coaching. And you know, I've I've been teamed up with MJ and I'm loving. I'm loving it. It's just like we get on our calls and we're like, pow, straight to the point. And I'm like buzzing with, you know, actions. And so having that kind of mentorship as well is phenomenal. And I'm feeling extraordinarily lucky. I genuinely am feeling very blessed. Do you have an ask for the community whilst, whilst we have this opportunity? I just had about three rush to my mind. Um, <laughs> so I think. I mean, right now, a simple one um, is that we're running a, we're running a crowdfunding campaign, um, which is more just a sort of short-term cash injection of just anyone who's got a, a spare few pennies or pounds, um, or just wants to share the campaign with their community. Um, we were just looking to raise a bit of interim cash uh, for one of our uh, our cut the cutlery campaign. So that's a way that if people just want to throw a bit of um cash into the pot for the crowdfunder that can really help um but i think longer term um i think the sort of visionary integrator piece um that i'm going to be going into that process so i think anyone that's got experience of hiring an integrator or a coo um, I'd be I'd be really interested to hear from them of how that process was as a as a founder or visionary how that process was for them finding their integrator. Excellent. Is there anything that we haven't talked about today that you would like to take this opportunity to share with the community? I would like to give a shout out for my book because I get so busy as CEO of City to Sea. I feel like I don't do my book justice because I'm also an author. And my book, How to Save the World for Free, came out in 29, at the end of 2019. Um, and then the paperback came out last year and it did really well. It's popped up in bookshops and libraries and museums all around the world. But if people um, yeah, want to have a look at that or give it an Amazon review or just buy it for someone, I think, or even just look at the cover. It's a pretty cover. Um, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, that would be my last, third, third and final ask. Excellent. Well, it's been really interesting learning about City to Sea today. Thank you very much for taking the time to share it with us. And um, we look forward to seeing how things progress from here on. Thanks, Hannah. I appreciate everybody's ears listening into this. And thanks ever so much for your questions and your time. Thank you for listening to the CEO.world podcast. Like, 
comment, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. We invite you to join a global community of radically generous women and non-binary folks at sheeo.world.